0: I hope that, like, when I die, there's, like, video game stats of my life. I would love to see accumulated time of, oh, my God, it's a Podcasting. Allowed. Oh, podcasting, but also specifically, how many hours have I waited for sirens to shut up? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our disdain for town bullies and we go head-to-head to to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judge's table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are longtime co-workers from Mischief Management. It's Melissa and Ellie and Jordan Edwards here to solve mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown. Melissa and Jordan, how's it going? Oh, you know. It's going. It's election (laughs) day. For context, can we say that? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we are recording this at eleven seventeen a.m. local time on November third.
1: So this will be a fun time capsule of what the world is like. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I have not slept much, so uh, that's going to impact my ability to uh, formulate answers for this game.
2: I'm a borderline narcoleptic, so I slept, (laughs) but I also am on like my like fourth cup of coffee my third cookie and I'm counting down until my first scotch
0: (laughs) So to escape this hellscape and to get into what was an intentional recording scheduling so that I could avoid doom scrolling for an hour or so, let's do some mysteries. But before we get into the mysteries, this is a show for charity. So what charity are you two playing for? Let's start with Melissa. Who are you playing for?
2: I am playing for Camp Kawanus, which is a camp for underprivileged children in upstate New York. It's run by my parents and they work so hard. They literally construct the place all year long and it's an incredible place.
0: That's fantastic. What about you, Jordan?
1: I am playing for the Nina West Foundation, which is an arm of the Columbus Foundation started by my friend Nina West, Columbus drag queen and star of RuPaul's Drag Race season 11. And it supports LGBTQ youth and their families in central Ohio. These both sound like fantastic organizations. I also feel
0: like I need to up my game in that you are both playing for charities of friends slash family members of yours. (laughs) (laughs) I need to find some friends who've started (laughs) charities. Start your own Mike. You could do it. Uh, I honestly have wanted to do this. I don't know the logistics, but I want to start something where I pay for teenagers dermatology bills (laughs) because I did proactive for a really long time and it did absolutely nothing. And then I went to a dermatologist and then it did a whole lot for my acne. I'm 20 years old and I still have to do acne stuff all of the time because, you know, puberty. But if I could start a foundation where I cover kids dermatology bills, I would be super into that.
1: Call it clarity. Yeah. Call it clarity.
2: Jordan's already got the logo.
0: (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Filing trademark right now. So let's get into what we're actually doing today. We are playing the game of meddling adults, and here's how the game works. I'll be recapping four quick mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series, Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read or seen these mysteries ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask for your accusations. Each correct guess of culprit will earn you points, but there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, I will give you a Misery Loves Company bonus point. As you two are well aware with my Potterless history, you know that I am usually very very wrong at trying to predict things and this is no different (laughs) and also if there's just anything that makes me laugh or chuckle or smile I will give bonus points out because as we're well aware this year has not been super fun especially today so uh anything that makes me happy I'm gonna give a bonus point out because we all need some sort of happiness in our life and this is how I'm making it in mine
1: are you feeling generous today Mike
0: (laughs) honestly yes good you could even just say like hey the sky's still blue today oh wow bonus point thank you so much for pointing that
1: out (laughs) Good good <laughs> blue sky.
2: You're like a DM with inspiration points, just giving
0: them out. I <laughs> love that. Before we get into the mysteries, are either of you well versed in Encyclopedia Brown or any sort of mystery stuff? Are mystery novels either of your two's
1: jams?
2: I was a massive Nancy Drew fan growing
1: up. Ooh, okay. And I, I was not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Agatha Christie.
1: I read the The Adventures of the Bailey School Kids was my like my only. Uh,
0: nice. Well,
1: maybe you just have some <laughs> untapped potential that we
0: are going to launch today. That's it. That's what it is. <laughs> well, let's see if it works as we put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery, The Case of Hilbert's Song. So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally have closed the Brown Detective Agency early today because they're heading over to Maggie DeLong's house for her birthday party. They meet up with a boy in town named Hilbert Caps. And he joins them without saying anything, which is strange because Hilbert is, as the book describes, the state
1: junior hollering champion. Hollering? What? uh does that mean?
2: The junior part is the part that interests me. It's so competitive. There's so much heat in the hollering ranks.
1: Is stiff. Is stiff here.
2: Now, these <laughs> books
0: take place in fictional Florida, so that can clear things up a little bit. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> that tracks.
2: It's nice to know that in fiction, Florida is the same.
0: Yeah, pretty much. What I've gathered about hollering here is that it is a specific type of singing that is just very... Yell-based,
1: so yeah, it feels like southern yodeling is what I've gathered. That's what I pictured when you mentioned this. Hooten and hollerin'. What is it, Junior? Hollering champion?
0: Mm-hmm. He's the junior hollering champion. The book describes that Hilbert usually is very quick to talk about his hobby and how hollering is a dying art and how hollerers are being replaced by screechers, <laughs> screamers, and yellers. So there are all of these very distinct, different types of yelling based singing. But he says that he is not doing it today because he threw out his voice. He yesterday recorded a hollering song. He said that he shouted down two hound dogs and a garbage pail lid and a washboard. So three days ago, he had passed Maggie DeLong's house, Maggie DeLong, who the birthday party Encyclopedia Brown and Sally are going to. He passed her house and he heard some men and women screaming. He thought someone was getting murdered, but turns out it was just the TV. And the announcer on the TV came on and said that it was a song. It's the top song of the month called, quote, Stompin' in Mother Hubbard's Slippers, which I've Googled, and unfortunately, it's not a real song.
1: Mm, not yet. We know some people. Stompin' <laughs> in Mother Hubbard's Slippers.
2: So this is different from Election Day. How?
1: What, the screaming and screeching? is <laughs> screaming,
2: next? screeching, <laughs> humping, stomping, screaming coming from a television set? I don't know. It's feeling all too real.
1: <laughs>
0: Melissa, I've given you a, oh, no, this is too real bonus point. Yes. So you take a commanding one to zero lead. So Hilbert says that at that point, he decided he wanted Wanted to earn some big money. He says, if that song was a hit, I knew I could write a better one and sell it to a record company. So yesterday he met up with Maggie and Maggie lent him Her tape recorder. So they set it out on the table in her backyard, and he brought over his neighbor's two hound dogs, a metal garbage pail lid, a washboard, and two sticks. And then he just banged on the various loud items. He hollered, the dogs joined in, and apparently
1: this was good. (laughs) It sounds very cathartic to me, just (laughs) banging and screaming.
2: I have an appointment to do it later today. It's cool.
0: (laughs) Encyclopedia Brown says, quote, Hoppin' Harmonies. I guess he also grew up to be Robin to Batman. (laughs) He says that you may have the smash tune of the year. What do you call it? And Hilbert says that he has called his song, I've been crying over you since you fell into the well. So that is his hit song. And Maggie said that she is going to play this song at her birthday party that they're all on their way to attend. They arrive at Maggie's house for the party. They all drop off their gifts, they play games for an hour, and then it's the moment of truth as Maggie announces to everyone that she has a surprise that Hilbert recorded an original song and she wants to play it for everyone because it's super. So Maggie goes into the back of the house and she's gone for several minutes. And when she reappears, she looks incredibly upset. She has a single tear running from the outside corner of her eye, rolling down her cheek. The drama. And she wipes it away with a pink handkerchief and blows her nose and very distraughtly reveals that the tape has gone missing. Dun, dun, dun. So we have our crime. So Sally right away says, no worries. We'll organize a search and we'll find it. So while the other children are looking about in the living room, Encyclopedia Brown, Sally, and Hilbert go up with Maggie to her bedroom. She says that she put the tape recorder here on her desk. She says that the tape was still there inside the tape recorder when the first guest arrived today. Oh.
1: Oh so it was one of you. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point
0: Sally shoes away Maggie's gray cat named Ladybird and picks up the empty tape recorder, and Sally points out that if the thief only took the tape, the thief must have known that the song was valuable, otherwise they would have taken the entire recorder. So Maggie says that she didn't tell anyone about the song. Hilbert says that he only told his parents and then Encyclopedia Brown and Sally just now. And Maggie brings up the possibility, though, that the neighbors may have heard it since it was so loud. And she says that some of the neighbors are kids in
1: attendance at the party. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to know who the runner up to the junior
1: hollering <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about this ladybird. She sounds suspect. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I mean, so Hilbert thinks that too many people could
0: have heard it because it was so loud. But Sally points out that there are two kids at the party, Mitch and Charlotte, who live close enough to Maggie that they could have not only heard what was happening, but seen what was happening by looking over the fences in the neighborhood. So Hilbert gets excited at this thought, says, quote, we could frisk Charlotte and Mitch. They haven't had a chance to hide the tape any place. But Maggie is very sad. She says, unfortunately, all the kids went outside during the scavenger hunt, and maybe they could have hid it during the
1: course of that. Stashed it away somewhere in the backyard.
2: <laughs> Thereby crushing Hilbert's frisking dreams.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> my, my, my lord. Hilbert, settle down. <laughs> Come on, Hilbert. <laughs> Sally <laughs>
0: says that just before she went outside, Mitch passed her, and Mitch said that he was going into the kitchen to see if Maggie's mom needed help with anything. But Maggie says Mitch is tone deaf, quote, He couldn't tell a hit tune from an alarm clock ringing. Same. (laughs) But then Hilbert jumps in. Hilbert says, wait a second. Charlotte excused herself just before the scavenger hunt. She said she had to go fix her hair. And Maggie says, oh, Charlotte fixes her hair every hour. And they're just at the point where they have no idea who could be the culprit. Maggie says, I doubt either Charlotte or Mitch is the thief. You might as well blame my cat. Uh, So mm -hmm. they're very upset. Sally turns to Encyclopedia Brown and asks, do you have any idea who stole the tape? And Encyclopedia Brown says, of course I have an idea. Why don't you ask the thief? (laughs) And then the big reveal happens. So I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is guilty?
2: Wait encyclopedia brown already
1: knows oh of course he does he's encyclopedia brown yeah he's he's benedict cumberbatch (laughs) (laughs) and nobody had to be frisked oh my gosh all right no frisking involved only pure power of mind here at work pure deductive
0: reasoning on the case of encyclopedia brown
2: okay mitch charlotte who fixes her makeup a lot or her hair her hair mitch is tone deaf Who are the other attendees?
1: Lady Bird's a cat without opposable (laughs) (laughs) thumbs. You know,
0: Maggie said you could blame her. The suspects would be Lady Bird the cat. Mitch, who came inside and said that he was going to ask Maggie's mom if she needed help with anything... And Charlotte, who at some point came inside and said that she had to fix her hair, which I can relate to as, as someone that has to fix their hair constantly. Well, your hair looks immaculate, so. You've both seen me at leaky cons with my hairbrush and hair product in my backpack. I have, with the spray yeah. and
2: holding. You like have an exact number of seconds after spraying that you have to hold the hair. Yep, yep. And then you can let go. It's And I say this with pure admiration. It is a dedication to a process. <laughs> it's
1: a thing of beauty, man thing of beauty.
0: <laughs> okay, so
2: how old are these people?
1: They're all
0: in 5th grade, so 10-11. Mm-hmm.
2: Hardened criminals,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. one and all. Jordan, do you think it's super weird that Mitch would ask?
1: I find that to be a little strange for a 5th grader. I mean, as a gay guy, I was probably that kid who would walk in and like ask the mom to like, you know, chat and talk about her divorce and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather hang out with moms than kids, but We don't know this about Mitch. (laughs) I don't want to out him.
2: So there is a scavenger hunt of just three kids.
1: There's a bunch of kids. The
0: only kids that they have identified as potential suspects, though, are Mitch and Charlotte because they are neighbors to Maggie. And they live close enough where they could have heard the hollering and then peeked over the fence and seen what was happening. Otherwise, people would have just thought there was a loud ruckus and not necessarily great musical recording. Uh,
1: If they were neighbors, could they have been one of the screechers and screamers in the other house? The screechers and screamers were just that song that was on TV. Oh, I see. Uh, It wasn't another person there. I see.
0: So no, there's no actual human screaming. It was just that song about stomping or whatever. (laughs) And uh, then Hilbert said, Maggie, we got to record a wonderful hit.
2: I'm leaning Charlotte because Charlotte fixes her hair every hour and that's a lot. And that gives her opportunity to go get the tape and then the scavenger hunt. And then she has to come in and fix her hair again.
1: All right. Jordan, what about you? I mean, I think just for fun, I'll probably say Mitch, because I find his behavior to be shifty, but I can't think of <laughs> I can't think of a real motive. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know it's all good because you're both wrong.
2: Oh. It's Lady Bird. I knew
1: it.
0: <laughs> it's Maggie. Oh. So The giveaway is that, and it was a very tiny detail, but the tear was coming from the outside corner of her eye. And that's not where tears come from. Oh! Tears come from the inside corner of your eye. So Encyclopedia Brown knew that this was a fake tear. She must have used an eyedropper of sorts. It makes further sense because she's the only one that really knows about the song. So the whole plan was that she was making this big show of it being stolen so that Hilbert wouldn't think anything of it when she tried to bring the tape to a record company herself. Oh my goodness. This is conniving. I kind of love it. Really next level stuff for Maggie here, especially because she went out of her way to make a big show of it. And then also at the end, say that she didn't think the two suspects were guilty. So (laughs) really throwing people off the scent. Now the solution, I will say, sometimes the solution gives a little flavor text about what happened. So it does say that Hilbert sent the tape to a record company, but it was returned with a note saying that his song had a pretty good beat, but it wasn't loud enough and it needed more singers. So I guess back to the drawing board, Hilbert. Wow.
1: Wow. Yep. Try again.
2: Maggie's lives for drama. She had to throw a party to get this done. Yeah,
1: what a drama queen. <laughs>
0: it's my party, and I'll make a fake theft crime if I want to. I'm going to
2: have a party, do a fake crime do some weird biology with tears and then on top of it I'm going to make sure that every other suspect I insist is not guilty leaving
0: only me. Yep. (laughs) And my cat. Oh yeah. Honestly I had no idea what to guess so I just wrote for my guess. I wrote was it the cat? Because naming the cat and shooing
1: the cat away felt so unnecessary that I thought clearly it's the cat. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking like how could the cat have gotten into the tape recorder with its teeth?
2: (laughs) Here's the thing though the solution is in front of them They have to Team up Hilbert And Maggie And also add Ladybird As a backup singer Because screeching The
1: howling mm. Yep Yep
2: I mean Everybody wins
1: I smell a hit
0: Today's episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by The Listener. So The Listener is a daily podcast recommendation newsletter that sends three superb episodes to your inbox every single weekday. And The Listener is written by past guest of Meddling Adults, Caroline Crampton. She is a podcast industry expert who listens to dozens of hours of podcasts in order to filter out the very best to surprise and delight you. And through The Listener, you'll be able to discover diverse audio beyond the usual standard big publisher audio that you already know of. The Listener will uncover gems from creators around the world. As a paying subscriber, as well as the email newsletter, you will also get access to a personal feed that can deliver the recommendations straight to your favorite podcast app. And as a Meddling Adults listener, you can get two extra months for free at thelistener.co slash meddlingadults20. Again, that's thelistener.co slash meddlingadults20 for two free months of this great daily podcast recommendation newsletter. So go to thelistener.co slash meddlingadults20, get that newsletter, find some new podcasts, and think, oh, I remember that woman from an episode of Meddling Adults. She was so sweet. I'm so glad she's recommended these uh, wonderful podcasts to me today. Today's episode of Meddling Adults is also brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right at home. Each box comes with enough ingredients to make three different cocktail recipes and four servings of each. These recipes are developed by world-class mixologists, and all you need to do is buy one bottle of whatever that month's booze is, and you have all you need to make 12 drinks at home. I have done a bunch of Shaker and Spoon boxes, and I've had a great time every single time. I've done ones with whiskey. I've done ones with I've done ones with liquors that I had never heard of before, and then I learned how to make three drinks I'd never had before. It was a fun experience. The box is just 40 to $50 a month, so it's a very cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails, especially because you can't really go out for cocktails right now, and if you can wherever you live, you shouldn't. And it's very flexible. You can skip or cancel boxes at any time. So if you want to class up your nightcaps or make dinner a little extra fancy, you can get a Shaker and Spoon box. And as a Meddling Adults listener, you can get $20 off your first box. That's about half off. $20 off your first box if you go to shakerandspoon.com slash meddlingadults. Again, shakerandspoon.com slash meddlingadults to get $20 off your first box. And you can make some fancy drinks in your home safe and sound today. So thank you, the listener and Shaker and Spoon for helping us raise even more money for charity. So at the end of our first mystery, Melissa has a commanding one to zero lead as we get into our second mystery. Oh boy.
1: All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got to kick it up here. (laughs) So we get into our second mystery, the case of the red sweater. So the two detectives, Encyclopedia Brown and Sally, are sitting in the Brown Detective Agency and they're playing checkers. But suddenly a girl in a black leather jacket appears at the door. She is holding a human skull (gasps) that has two holes in the top and she says, bullet holes. I just know it. Encyclopedia Brown looks at it for a second and he goes, no, the science department at the high school got a new skeleton last year and they threw away the old one. (laughs) The holes in the top are where they hang it by a wire. But then he very excitedly asks where she found it because he had been eager to own his own skeleton for some time. So he wanted to know where this discarded skeleton was so that he could have his own. That's very normal. Super normal stuff. So she reveals that It was down in the town junkyard, so they head over to try to find the rest of it. She says that her name is Carmen Oldfield, that's someone that they haven't met before, but she has come to them with this interesting case of a thrown-out skeleton, so they follow her down to the junkyard, they ride their bikes, and when they arrive at the junkyard, Carmen heads to the back gate. Now the lock is broken by the back gate. And she says, do you see that oil drum by the yellow truck? The rest of the skeleton is in there. So the detectives hurry over to the oil drum and they open it up. And inside of the oil drum is a thick sack. And Encyclopedia Brown reaches down, leans over the oil drum and pulls it out. But right as he does so, Bugs Meeny the town bully, screams caught in the act. (laughs) Bugs Meany is the town bully and he, once per Encyclopedia Brown book, does a scheme where he tries to catch Encyclopedia Brown red-handed because the only way that he can get back at Encyclopedia Brown is to do this because Sally Kimball, Encyclopedia Brown's junior partner, she's also the prettiest and strongest girl in the fifth grade and she's beaten up bugs meaning multiple times <laughs> so he can't get back at them with physical force the only way to get back at them is by trying
1: to get them arrested okay all right
2: reasonable 10 year old behavior
1: yes also reasonable 10 year old name <laughs> <laughs> i believe he is a year or two older
0: so you know once you get to 12 all all bets are off <laughs>
2: Sally's my hero. But
0: he screams, caught in the act. He leaps out from behind a pile of wrecked cars, and alongside him is Officer Murphy. Now, the police department in Idaville, Florida, is not the best. They fall for this Bugs Meanie trick once a book. Uh. <laughs> and this is book 15 at this point. So they're really struggling here. It's like the
2: Jacob Wall of the series.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh. Oh, another two real bonus points. Oh, no.
2: I feel like I'm just getting points for being unhealthily obsessed with the election (laughs) at
0: this point. Look, we're here for it. So Officer Murphy takes the sack and pours it out. It's filled with various office supplies and toys. So Bugs claims that he has busted Idaville's biggest shoplifting ring. So Officer Murphy explains that Bugs claimed that Encyclopedia Brown has been shoplifting at the Five and Dime for months. And on the way back to town, you hide your loot here. And Bugs has been tailing him Hmm. over the course of these past months to see what Encyclopedia Brown has been up to. So Sally goes, okay, yeah, sure. When did we do this? Yeah, prove it. (laughs) (laughs) What a twist. The bag of bones is full of toys. Yeah, so it's not a skeleton. It's a bunch of shoplifted items. So Bugs lists a bunch of days. And all of these days are days that Encyclopedia Brown and Sally did go into town. So this raises the question that goes unanswered. Is Bugs meanie so hell-bent on revenge that he is stalking them? Because it's uncanny at this point. Yeah, Yeah,
1: or he got a hold of their calendar somehow. This is creepy. I don't like this. So Encyclopedia Brown says, oh, don't worry.
0: Carmine, this girl that we just biked over, is our witness. And they turn over and go, Carmine? And she's gone. <laughs> so Suspect. In what is normal Bugs Bunny fashion, he has gotten someone to play along with this. And Carmine is the recent person that is in on this mm-hmm. yeah, attempt to catch them red-handed.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> the layers and levels to these schemes, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sally says, You put her up to this Bugs Meanie. You're so crooked, you have to screw on your socks.
2: (laughs) I had to think about that for a second, but okay. (laughs) I'll
0: take it. Yeah. (laughs) So Officer Murphy speaks to Encyclopedia Brown says, Bugs stopped me this morning as I was driving past the junkyard on my rounds. He says that he saw a boy in a red sweater, you, leaning over the oil drum. And Encyclopedia Brown explains, Bugs knows I only have one sweater, this red one. This is just a trick to get even. Yep. So Officer Murphy says that Mr. Dillon, the junkyard owner, saw a boy leaning into the barrel about the same time, but he couldn't make out more than the red sweater because of how far away he was from the oil drum. Now, Sally brings up that this boy in a red sweater was probably just Bugs Meanie wearing a red sweater, pretending to be Encyclopedia Brown. Right, if he knew so much. A disguise, a clever Clever disguise. disguise. (laughs) Sally says he probably just changed out of his red sweater into the brown one that he's wearing now before stopping you, officer. And Bugs Meanie says, this dame is off the wall. (laughs) If I changed sweaters, the red one would still be around here. I didn't have time to go home. When were these books written... (laughs) So these books started to be written in 1965, but now we've gotten later into the series. This one was written in 1976. This dame. But they still talk like they are 1920s gangsters.
2: Look at that getaway sticks on her. Yeah, yeah, you
0: see? She's been practicing her flapper routine for months. (laughs) For 40 years. Oh, boy. So... Sally then points out, though, she goes, wait a second, Bugs, why are you wearing a girl's brown sweater? The buttons are on the left side. A boy's sweater has the buttons on the right side. I didn't know this for most of my life until... Is that real? Yeah. It is a real thing. The year before... Macklemore made thrift shop a thing and everyone went thrift shopping all the time. You know, Macklemore who single-handedly saved the thrift shopping industry. (laughs) Yes, hero. The year before that was a thing, me and my friends went ugly Christmas sweater shopping at the thrift stores near my college. And I got the most horrendous women's bedazzled it's sewn in there's beads on it it's absolutely atrocious but in the best way sounds like a masterpiece gosh it's incredible but it's a women's large christmas sweater that fits me and it has the buttons on the right side and i remember asking one of my friends why are the buttons on the other side
1: we feel the need to gender our clothing and that's why yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then she said, what do you mean? Buttons are always on the right side. And I was like, buttons are always on the left side. I mean, we both learned in that moment. It was great. We both had the same realization of, wait a second. It was wonderful. So yeah, that is a thing. It's such a dumb thing. (laughs) Who made this decision? You can't wear that cloth. Probably a man.
2: Honestly, right. (laughs) Who made all those
0: decisions? (laughs) So Sally asks this of Bugs and the narrator describes this as, quote, Bugs looked like a boy who had swallowed a school of goldfish. And then he stammers, I, uh, it's my, my girlfriend's sweater. I borrowed it this morning. And Sally goes, what girlfriend? (laughs) Which I love that Sally not only is strong, not only is pretty, but she's also tuned in to the town gossip and knows that Bugs Meanie does not have a girlfriend. (laughs) She's going to throw shade when she needs to. And I love that. Bugs and Sally then snarl at each other. They snarl so intensely that the officer has to get in between them, which I think is a great note. Snarling? Yeah. Oh, it's great.
1: <laughs> like dogs?
0: <laughs> yep, like dogs. So it's like the Peter Brown glances down at his own red sweater, and it has stains where he leaned against the oil drum. He looks at Bugs' sweater, and Bugs has stains on his sweater too, but they're in a different location, so it's not the same sort of leaning against the oil drum right around the stomach stain. Officer Murphy says, Mr. Dylan didn't say anything about seeing a girl with him, but Bugs says he saw you, Sally. And Bugs claims that you two spoke about coming back in an hour to change the hiding place, so I agreed with him to wait and watch. And Sally goes, Encyclopedia, you can't let Bugs get away with this. And Encyclopedia says, don't worry, he He won't. won't. And then makes the big reveal. So (laughs) I turn to the two of you. Who is behind this? What's the explanation?
1: I think that Bugs and Skull Girl are in cahoots because it's a girl sweater and she lent it to him. Mm. And I don't know. That's where I'm at. I mean, that could be it. (laughs) I'm guessing that they knew of his love for the skeleton. And so they are using that love to frame him for the shoplifting that they've been doing. That's my guess. Final answer, Meredith.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have no explanation for the stains that are on a girl's sweater, but are in a different location. Because it seems to be that Skullgirl's sweater, she had to have gotten that skeleton from someplace. So it's in a different place. So.
1: Oh yeah, they had. She had to get the head somehow.
2: She had to get the head somehow, and they got rid of it. So it's in there someplace, but the stains are different than leaning over the whatever to get the whatever. The
0: stains, I will say, like it looks similar. It's just in a different. It's like as if it was moved a little bit. So similar looking stains, but not in like the exact same location.
2: I kind of think it's the cop. Ooh, okay, I'm going with all cops are jerks and I'm just going to blame <laughs> the cop. That's it. Final answer. Maybe
1: the barrel was upright at first, mm-hmm. right? And she had to clamber in to get the head and it fell over to its current position, which is explains the different types of stain. It's the same similar stain, but different because it's in, you know, I have to crawl in. I don't know.
2: Yeah. The reason I went with cop is that Oh, I guess it's a girl's sweater, but a differently tall person, a different person of a different height, yep. mm. the stains would hit differently. I still want to know where they got the
1: skeleton from. <laughs> or where it is now.
0: <laughs> I have so many questions. All right. So I will say that neither of you are correct. No, all right. <laughs> Jordan was close. So I've given you a bonus point for getting all of the other stuff right. You're right in that. All of the knowing his love, Carmine was in on it, all of that. But the stain thing, what they do is they ask Bugs Meanie to turn his sweater inside out, and they realize that it's a sweater that is red on one side and brown on the inside. The reason why the buttons are on the other side is because he's wearing it inside out, and then when he puts it on the right way, then the stains line up in the correct orientation that matches Encyclopedia Brown's.
1: Red and brown classic 1970s clashing color combo (laughs) right yeah so yeah that was uh that was a a tricky move by bugs
0: meanie yeah
2: I thought the motorcycle jacket was going to come into play somehow. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Her leather jacket was suspect. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of the second mystery, Melissa now has a two to one lead. Very high scoring match here. As we (laughs) get into our third mystery, the case of the crowing rooster. Uh Oh Oh boy. So Lisa Periwinkle. It's a great drag name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Bonus point for Jordan. That's really good. Welcome
1: to the stage. Lisa Lisa Periwinkle. Periwinkle. I I can see
0: it. A nice Periwinkle monochrome outfit. All of, you know, that light blue slash light purple purple. I'm colorblind specifically for blues and purple. So Periwinkle has always been the bane of my existence.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. All your branding is purple. Potterless purple. You have no idea what you're looking at. I was wild to make an Indigo podcast logo because <laughs> I'm always confused
0: by it.
2: I think Lisa Periwinkle designed Boboton's. Yes.
0: <laughs> So Lisa rushes by on her bike, and Encyclopedia Brown says, what's the rush? And she says that Wilford Wiggins, who is a teenager in town that loves get-rich-quick schemes, has a new plan for kids that he's going to share with the town in the junkyard. Wilford Wiggins, as described by the book, it says, quote, he is a high school dropout who began his day by going to sleep. In the afternoon, he figured out ways of fast-talking the neighborhood children out of their savings.
2: (laughs) This neighborhood is super... Mm -hmm. Super full of crime. Petty
0: crime, but crime nonetheless. (laughs) So Encyclopedia Brown, who has put a stop to past scams of Wilford in earlier books, decides he's going to go and stop it as well. So it's 7.30 when they arrive. The book does not say if it's 7.30 a.m. or p.m. I'm assuming it's 7.30 in the morning, but that also feels very early, but mm-hmm. I, don't I don't operate that early. When they arrive at the junkyard, Wilford is facing a crowd of kids, and beside him is one of his friends, another teenager who is wearing an overcoat, and there's a large bulge inside the overcoat.
1: Not great. Never, never good.
0: Never good. Mm-mm. Never good. Wilford says, gather around. I don't want you to miss hearing how you can, and then he chuckles, feather your are nest. I don't know if feathering your nest is an old school way of saying. uh, Get rich. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Get comfy. Okay.
0: He thinks it's a great pun because this, as the title would suggest, is a rooster based get rich quick scheme. Rooster morning, 7 a.m. Got it. (laughs) So he introduces his partner, Bill, the guy in the trench coat. Bill from under the trench coat takes out a rooster and sets it on the ground. then he takes a tiny box from out of his pocket. And this box has two knobs on it. It's a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Wilford, thankfully answering the question for all of us, says, I know you're thinking, what does this tiny box do? I'll tell you, my friends. It controls roosters. It's Bill's secret ray. So apparently this box is going to send rays to the rooster's brain. And Bill can control this rooster with this box. So he starts turning the knobs. And then the rooster stretches its neck and starts cock-a-doodle-doing. It crows two more times within a minute. So three different crows in a minute. Bill turns the knobs back, puts the rooster back into his overcoat. And Wilfred says, now we could make this rooster crow a hundred times in an hour, but I don't want to tire out the bird. Mm -hmm. And Bugs Meanie, who is in attendance, of course, says... You're full of baloney. That's a trained rooster. And Wilford says, You can't train roosters. The rays made him crow. And Bugs then says, So what? What's Bill going to invent next? An electric So now Bugs Meany is my favorite character. (laughs) Kind of an an ingenious inventor type. (laughs) There's a few textbook mystery styles that happen across this series. And Wilford Get Rich Quick Schemes is one of them. Bugs Meanie is always in attendance. And he always says, this is a bunch of crap. But then (laughs) falls for the scheme in the end and wants to give his money over anyway. Of
2: course he does. But I
0: do appreciate Bugs Meanie having a bit of redeeming qualities in that. He just throws out wonderful insults at Wilford. Yes, we love that. So, Wilford explains that Bill is developing a ray to control hens. Hens are smarter than roosters, and they're more valuable because hens lay eggs. So, Bill's ray is going to make hens lay eggs on command. Now, of course, Wilford, like every startup, says he needs more money for his funding to (laughs) fund his research, but people can buy shares in it for $5 each. He's the Firefest guy. Shout out to a couple of startups who once, instead of paying me for podcast ads, said, uh, could we pay you on the next round of funding? And Amanda from Multitude said, you can pay us now. Correct. (laughs) No. So the kids are very excited because they think farmers across America are going to love this. If I have a share in this thing, I'm going to be super rich. Yeah.
1: We don't know how biology works, but. yep.
0: Lisa turns to Encyclopedia Brown and says, I have $10 with me. Should I buy two shares? And Encyclopedia Brown says, you'd be buying two shares of nothing and then makes the big reveal. So I turned to the two of you.
1: How did Encyclopedia Brown know this is a bunch of crap? By taking bio? Yeah, you can't just instantly lay eggs at your will. That's not how this works. Also... I'm guessing that the rooster was crowing because it was the morning and the sun was rising. Yeah. And that's why he was so quick to put it away because he's like, well, I don't want to waste your time. But also the sun was up, so it's not going to keep crowing.
2: Okay, wait. But at no time was a hen shown. They're just like, they're theoretical hens. Yes. How is the box described?
0: It's just a small box with two knobs. If it's any help, it is not a functional rooster ray.
2: Oh, I was so worried.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The reveal is that Encyclopedia Brown has figured out specifically how it is a hoax. The answer is not a biological answer, <laughs> okay. which was my guess was just, I don't know, heads can't lay hundred <laughs> eggs an hour was my guess.
2: I mean, it's dawn, it's past dawn, right? So like the-
0: Yeah, they do describe that the sun is up at this point. So it's not early in the morning. I guess in 19 or whatever, maybe Donald J. Sobel, the author of Encyclopedia Brown thought, ah, 7.30, late in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Because he's an old man. But yes, it's the morning and it's not sunrise.
2: Just to give you an idea of what today is like, you said Donald J and my whole brain exploded.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm trying to reclaim Donald J as Donald J. Sobel because he is a wonderful human. I can't wait to reclaim Trump as a verb. God, I was playing Spades the card game the other day and we had to come up with a different word for
1: Trump suit. Can't use that word anymore. Yeah. Anyway, frankly, I have no idea because I was so fixated on the science of this and I wasn't thinking about the psychology of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hold on. There's a box.
1: Under a trench coat, takes it out of
0: the trench coat, puts it on the ground, and then within a minute, it crows three times. Mm. And then at this point, then Simon Peter from across the hall says, I don't know who Jesus is.
2: (laughs) Wait, I think I got it. That's hilarious. I think I got it. He's had the crow in his overcoat, which is dark, the rooster crows, because it thinks it's dawn. Because it has seen light.
1: It's been shoved in that coat for hours.
2: <laughs> hours. Just slept with the rooster in its coat, which is really uncomfortable sounding.
0: I will say that is correct, Melissa. Ding, 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 ding.
1: Jordan, did you have this? We go by the honor code here. Did you have this? I mean, I was kind of leaning toward that. Like, I think I was going towards, like, the rooster has no idea, like, what time it really is. It's just seeing light, right, for the first time. So I was kind of thinking similarly. I believe you. And because of that, the score is tied five to five. Oh, my hey. God. When did I get these many points? <laughs> <laughs>
0: The score is tied five to five. I have one final mystery prepared. Ooh. I'm going to go quick version on it because we're getting towards the end of the time. So we'll do the the fast version of The Case of the Boy Juggler. Oh, boy. There is a friend of Encyclopedia and Sally's named Fangs Liveright, <laughs> and we've met him before. Okay. And previously, he did not live up to his tooth-related name, but now he is. He has entered into a talent competition for a new television program that is filming in Idaville called Young America, the most boring name for... <laughs> America's Got Talent ever, <laughs> and he has tryouts. Now, his talent that he's going to do is he's juggling apples, and he's going to bite the apples in mid-air and then continue to juggle them to the point where he like throws it up, bites it, catches the next one, and then by the end of it, he's just juggling three apple cores, which I will say sounds really cool. I would love to see this. Yeah. That's impressive.
2: Just the chewing alone.
0: So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally say they're going to go to the tryouts to cheer him on. They're very supportive friends. While they are in the place where they're doing the tryouts, a woman wearing a yellow dress and a yellow suitcase rushes by them, almost runs Sally over, and just runs out of the place without a word. So, they're a bit confused. That suspect. As Fangs is about to do his tryout, he comes running up to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally out from the green room and says someone has stolen his suitcase of apples. So, he reveals that he had a yellow suitcase filled with these apples. Mm. And Sally goes, oh, we just saw a lady walk by us with a yellow suitcase. I bet she took it. And he says, does the suitcase have zippers or clasps? And Sally says, clasps. And Fang says, oh, mine has zippers. So the thought would be, this is a different suitcase. Hmm. So Encyclopedia Brown says, are there any other jugglers in the contest? Maybe they wanted to make you not be able to compete. And Fang says that there are two, a boy named Archie and a girl named Claire. Now, I have to include this note in that Sally is ready to accuse them right away, but Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown is not because Archie is a 10th grader, so he's older, but he's really afraid of Claire, who even though she's only 13, she is sturdy, and it says that, quote, she's as warm and as friendly as an iceberg kissing an ocean liner, oh. and her act is juggling bowling balls. Oh my <laughs> god, she is
1: sturdy.
2: <laughs> the girls are so about it
0: in this series. I love it. So they approach Archie and Claire. Archie says, I never saw fangs with a suitcase. Claire says, me neither. Archie says, there's been kids with suitcases and shopping bags coming in and out all morning. How are we supposed to know this? Encyclopedia Brown says, the suitcase is old and dusty, so maybe there are some fingerprints around. And Claire says, oh wait, I did see someone that looks suspicious. There was a woman in a yellow dress leaving in a big hurry, and she had a suitcase. And Archie says, oh yeah, I saw her too. She was in such a rush, she almost bumped into Sally, and she had a yellow suitcase just like Fang's. And Fang says, no, that wasn't my suitcase. Mine has a zipper. Hers has clasps. And Sally turns to Encyclopedia Brown and says, how are we going to figure this out? And Encyclopedia Brown says, I already have. So I turn to the two of you. What's up? Uh, Fangs
1: is self-sabotaging. Ooh. Oh, what
0: a twist. <laughs> um,
2: one suitcase inside another suitcase.
1: Oh, a nesting doll situation.
2: A nesting doll
0: situation.
2: Eats one of the apples or maybe eats all the apples. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And squishes the zippered suitcase inside the suitcase with clasps. And- what I will
0: say is the book describes that the suitcases are of similar size, so this would not be possible.
2: Oh, okay. Um, why? What? What is? What would her motive be? She's
1: got to do with it somehow. She's uh, she's a stage mom. She's, <laughs> she's Archie's stage mom. <laughs> she's trying to get rid of the competition.
2: Oh. Uh, hmm.
1: Red herring, man. She's red herring. She's a yellow herring. She's a yellow <laughs> herring. <laughs>
0: If we're trying to figure out if it's Archie or Claire, which are our two suspects at the point, I will just say that... Claire first brings up that she saw the woman in the yellow dress leaving in a big hurry. Okay. Claire is upset that they are accusing them, but then she does point out, oh, wait a second, right after Encyclopedia Brown says the suitcase was old and dusty, maybe there's fingerprints around. Claire goes, oh, wait a second, now that I think about it, there was a woman in a bright yellow dress. So she's worried about that fingerprint business. But then Archie jumps in and he says, I saw her too, she was in an awful rush, she nearly bumped into Sally, and she had a yellow
1: suitcase just like Fangs. Okay, I'm going to say it's Claire. I'm gonna say it's Bowling Ball Girl. Okay.
2: I also feel like it's Bowling Ball Girl.
1: Okay. Well, you're both wrong. It
0: was Archie. (laughs) The giveaway is that Archie says that. She had a yellow suitcase just like Fangs and at no point did they tell him that the suitcase was yellow. Now, I did give Jordan a bonus point for saying the yellow herring, (laughs) and that has earned you the win six to five in this episode of Battling Adults. So you have won, and you have won some money for the Nina West Foundation. So how does it feel to win on
1: such a silly little ending note? It feels (laughs) shocking, frankly. (laughs) But I'm very <laughs> grateful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> uh, Melissa, you fought valiantly as well. It was a close one. <laughs> Many, uh, oh gosh, it's too real bonus points abound, but this was a fun one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this was great. <laughs> that was fun. Thank you both so much for joining. This is a who. If people want to find you two doing stuff podcast wise on the internet and otherwise, uh, where can they do so? Uh, you can follow me on
1: Twitter. I'm uh, at Jordan Edwards.
2: I'm in a lot of different places. <laughs> my Twitter is probably where you can find all the things. I'm at Melissa and Ellie, but I'm also on Pottercast and Roll93 quarters and some other podcasts lots of
1: uh, lots of other podcasts <laughs> <You're> all... <laughs> a
2: lot of podcasts I just like it a lot <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> So I got to
0: stop. Well, that's great. Thank you both again so much for joining. This was the season finale, season two finale of Meddling Adults. So oh, wow. Hey. Congratulations. We've had a good run of a lot of mystery solving. And when we come back in February for season three, we'll, you know, have a whole new slew of crimes <laughs> to solve. But until then, I had a great time with you two trying to avoid the existential pain that is around us on November 3rd by spending an hour with a couple of meddling adults. Thanks for listening to the season finale of season two of meddling adults. It has been quite the ride and I'm so honored that you joined in for this wonderful experience. This season would not have been possible without all of the people who supported at patreon.com slash meddlingadults, but I want to give an extra special shout out to the people who joined at the highest tier, the true meddling adults. Those are Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Salvatore Testa, Polly Burge, Danielle Bolt, Jogan Shanley, and Kelsey Gillespie. Also, the show wouldn't be possible without the people who made it. So Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel, and the website, is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show, you can join that Patreon. It's not too late. We will still be raising money in between seasons. You can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. I'll be putting up bonus clips throughout the break as well so you can get access to those wonderful extra goodies. We'll put you on the website and we'll thank you at the end of next season if you join at the highest tier. Or if you'd rather support on a one-time basis rather than a monthly donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. Season 3 of Meddling Adults will launch on February 3rd, 2021. I needed a little bit of a break in order to make the show and sleep and also enjoy the holidays, so taking a little bit of time there, but I'm very excited to bring Season 3 to you and get some truly wonderful guests in the mix to help us raise even more money for charity. Since this is the end of the season, we will be putting together all of our different financials for how much money we were able to raise from sponsors and Patreon and one-time donations, and then we'll be able to make our donations so there will be a separate episode that announces Announces how much money we were able to give to each of the 10 winning charities. There will be a bunch of bonus episodes that come out during the break. There will be another fundraiser for children's books that I purchased throughout this season. We might do another meddling mailbag. So don't worry, there will still be content for you in your feed during the breaks between seasons two and three. So stay tuned for all of that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and any other episode that you've listened to so far and hope to see you next time whenever we put out some new audio into the feed.